Welcome to the Profitable Farmer Podcast, where it's all about increasing the profitability of your farm by working smarter, not harder. G'day and welcome once again to Profitable Farmer. I hope that the turn of the season is being kind to you. I love this time of year. Um, hope you do. I'm sure that you do as well. And um, yeah, I hope you're well wherever you are. So in this podcast, I'm delighted to welcome Tracy Seacombe back to Profitable Farmer. Tracy, to many of you, you will know her. Um, for those that don't, she is our head coach at Farm Owners Academy and the founder and director of Potential Realised. She runs an incredible program around self-development and personal advancement called Soul Pleaser, which Farm Owners Academy recommend highly, both to men and women in our community. So check that out. Um, Tracy, great to have you with us again, and thank you so much for your time. Oh, thanks, Jeremy. It's always fun to come and chat with you. Thank you, absolutely. So, Tracy, a few weeks ago now, you led a conversation in one of our Farm Owner Academy training sessions around a really important topic, and it resonated so strongly with so many men and women in our membership that I wanted to extend that conversation out for our broader community of listeners to hear and consider and reflect on and even check their reality against. And so thank you for allowing this to play out. The conversation um, is around this topic of burnout. I've heard it said that the single reason why most small businesses fail is because of this issue of the owner burning out. Now, in small business in town, that's the reality. I actually feel like it's equally true in agriculture, um, but it seems like we're that resilient um, and perhaps it's because we've got a bit of an asset to fall back on um, that we find ways to navigate. But there are farmers out there that have been doing this as technical experts in their space for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, should I go on? Yes. <laughs> um, what do you see as you travel across our industry about the reality of burnout and how it is turning up for farming families? Well, I recognise it because of my own personal experience. So I think that that's the key is that if you have been aware of burnout, then you're going to be quick to see it. But if you haven't had that awareness, then you could be living with burnout and have no idea. And that was definitely my story. So back before my mum died in 2016, when I was running three businesses, on reflection, I can see that I'd actually been in burnout for years and had absolutely no idea. To the outside world, everything looked fine, but I was really dealing with a lot of stress in ways that I didn't recognise as burnout. And I wasn't sleeping well, I was exhausted all the time, but I kept pushing myself. I had the will to continue to push myself past my physical and mental limits. And I absolutely see that in the farming community. And it's no wonder because of their strong work ethic, you know, they've been conditioned to believe that a successful farmer is one that works all the time. And it's almost worn as 
as a badge of honour. And I don't say that in a negative way because I wore it as a badge of honour as well because although I wasn't in the farming industry, I watched my parents work really hard as well and so continue to just push myself. And I use the analogy of the frog in the pot where if a frog is put into a, a, a pot of water and it's just gently heated, it won't even notice that it boils and it boils to death. And really that's what's happening to a lot of the population and from, from our point of view in the farming industry as well. So what is it and how did it turn up for you? How did you, if you don't mind sharing, experience burnout back when you were running those three companies? For me, something terrible had to happen and this is why I'm really glad we're talking about this because what I would like to say to you if you're listening or watching is don't wait for something terrible to happen. Watch this training and see whether you might be experiencing some of these symptoms so that you don't have to wait for it. But for me, it was my mum passing away and in my grief, I stopped because I couldn't function. I found it very difficult. It was enough pain for me to stop pushing. And I've seen that recently in some of my farming clients where they have had what they would call, because we've coined the term now, because I call it my breakdown breakthrough, and so they do as well, but their breakdown breakthrough. So it's actually very positive once you get through it because it's the thing that will make you wake up and start to do things differently. But for me, it was mum passing away and me going, you didn't take her out to lunch every week because you were so busy working. What's wrong with you? Like, why are you so addicted to working? And I see this work addiction so much in the farming community, not just whether you're out in the field, but I was talking to a lady yesterday and she's 62 and she says, I can't sit down, you know, I scrub the floors until they're gleaming and then I go on to the next task and I put a load of washing on and it's like we're addicted to this activity and the underlying driver comes from this idea that that's the attachment to self-worth, getting approval and recognition, proving ourselves to other people and success. And so for me, when I really was brought to my knees when mum died, I thought, I've got to change. I, I can't go on like this. And until you get to that point, I think that you don't make change. But I'm hoping that if people are open-minded and recognise themselves in this, as we talk about this today, maybe they can make the changes rather than waiting for something terrible to happen. It's so true, isn't it, Tracy? that often we've got to lose a leg before we climb Everest as a, a crude example, but we've got to wait for the hardship to hit before we actually commit to major change. I hope that this conversation um, allows some people to avoid that. But at the same time, it's worthwhile just taking a chance to check in and be brutally honest with where you're at. Um, as I said at the start, so many of us have been farming for so long um, and there is that work ethic and you know, some of us don't allow ourselves to have holidays and re-energise and recharge. Some, most of us, many of us are working, you know, seven days a week and we live in our business. So we look out over the beautiful landscape and all we see is broken fences and work that needs to be done at some point. Um, so I'm hoping some of you can resonate with this. Tracy, the symptoms of how do people know um, where they're at, if it was a spectrum and 
you know, at one end is absolute 100% burnout. How do people know what it is and where they're at relative to um, having this problem as, as their reality? So spectrum is a good way of putting it because I want to just share some phases of burnout with you. And the first phase is actually prior to the burnout beginning. Um, and this is where we really want to keep ourselves. And it's called the honeymoon phase. So you can really relate to it in terms of relationships, but you can also really relate to it in terms of business as well. And in this first phase, we are undertaking a new task and we often start by experiencing high job satisfaction, commitment, energy and creativity. So for those of you that are listening, you may be able to remember back when you first started your business and that's what it felt like. For some of you, hopefully, it still feels like that every day. And this is definitely true at the beginning, um, but it can be ongoing. And in this first phase, you may begin to experience some predicted stresses of the initiative that you're undertaking. So therefore, it's important for you to be able to start implementing coping strategies right from the beginning rather than waiting like I did till I was really in the final stages. But these are the these are the symptoms of this first stage, which are all very positive, which is commitment to the job at hand, free-flowing creativity, high productivity levels, job satisfaction, readily accepting responsibility and sustained energy levels and unbridled optimism. Sounds like a honeymoon to me. <laughs> so it is possible and probably some people might be thinking it's not realistic to maintain that. But I reflect on the business that I had, Safe Work Practice, my physiotherapy business I had for 22 years and my business partner and I were always in that business for the joy of it and for the fun of it. And so whenever something became really mundane for us and we were over it, we would reinvent it and we would create something new. And I really believe that this is possible in any business because it's always about, about perception and your outlook on things. And so if you if, if you listen to that and go, oh, my God, I don't think I've ever been in the honeymoon phase or it's so long ago I can't remember what it feels like, that you really want to start to do a bit of a stock take of everything that you do and look for the joy in the business and remember why you started the business and make sure that you're incorporating some of those things so that you can get this optimism back um, and the enjoyment and job satisfaction back. So your point there, Tracy, is that we can return to that. Yes. Yes, okay. that is the goal. The goal is to, for people who are just starting out, so we do have some platinum members who are actually right at the beginning. And so they are in this honeymoon phase and they are experiencing and learning the skills to stay there. But if you're not, if you're years and years down the track, there are ways for you to get back there. Um, and that's what we want to address today. So this is the ideal, is to stay as much in the honeymoon phase as you can. And the more quickly you can recognise some of the symptoms we'll discuss in the other phases, the more quickly you can return back into that honeymoon phase. Thanks, Tracy. So could we jump to the other extreme to create contrast? Yeah, I'll jump all the way down to step five. So this is the worst case scenario here. So if you're in step five, step five is actually habitual burnout. 
Um, so I'll go back to, to go through the other phases to show you the symptoms that develop. But if you end up in habitual burnout, it actually means that the symptoms of burnout are so embedded in your life that you're likely to experience a significant ongoing mental, physical or emotional problem as opposed to occasionally experiencing stress or burnout. So the common symptoms include burnout syndrome, chronic mental fatigue, chronic physical fatigue, chronic depression and chronic sadness. Wow. It's um, amazing how stress endured manifests and turns up and plays out in life, isn't it? Well, and particularly when you look at the way view, people view depression, if you hear it like that and you think, no wonder somebody ends up depressed, I can relate as I go through these other symptoms to getting different levels of stress if I keep going down this track and ignore, ignore these symptoms of stress and burnout, it potentially could lead to a more debilitating mental or physical condition. Absolutely. Do you need to, and as you went through that, I, I can imagine perhaps some of our people in the latter half of their life um, acknowledging that I burned out when I was 26 in corporate Sydney, um, I'd been in a role for two years and the stress and pressure that I was feeling arrived me to there more quickly. It's not just something that someone who is more senior gets. Is, this, is that accurate? And can young farmers experience this three or four or five years into their career? Completely. I'm working with a lot of young people who are in burnout and a lot of them after watching this training that I did let me know that they really resonated. Um, for example, there's one woman who has four children and she has a career and she helps on the farm. Um, and I've been, you know, tapping her about her burnout for a long time, but this really spoke to her when I actually went through the symptoms because she identified with 80% of them. And then I think that that was just you know, the nail in the coffin for her to really go, okay, I really need to take this seriously. I have to stop just ignoring this and waking up and reacting to every demand that is on me rather than doing what it's going to take for me to be able to start reducing these symptoms and work my way back to the honeymoon phase instead of working my way towards habitual burnout. Coming back to a comment you made earlier, what is it that has us not be able to stop and rest and recover? You mentioned that lady who was scrubbing the floors so intently and wasn't giving her permission, herself permission to stop. What is it about that work ethic that we have um, that contributes? It's very simply a learned behaviour. So you could grow up learning how to speak English or you could grow up learning how to speak French. You could grow up in a family that are very relaxed and chilled and have lots of holidays or you could grow up in a family where laziness is frowned upon and productivity and strong work ethic is applauded and you could watch people who 
are absent all the time because they're always working and that is your experience and so that is what you learn. So as much as you can intellectually think, oh, I must work less, I must, I must get more involved in the family activities, I must go to see the kids' Christmas play and yet year on year you don't show up because you're still in the middle of harvest and you just can't. And you're like, what's wrong with me? Why do I keep doing this when I know I should have more balance in my life? So I speak to so many people, and I was the same, who intellectually, we're very smart. We know that we should have more balance in our life. But it's like we're robots and we just keep getting up and making, getting out there and working our priority. And we're addicted to doing. And it really comes from our subconscious belief systems where it's so ingrained that this is the right thing to do or the good thing to do or the only way that we're going to experience financial security, then that driver overrides our drive to have balance. And the only way that we're going to be able to tip that balance is by planting new beliefs to change the beliefs that we currently have. So we need to have a new belief system and we need to understand things like we can be abundant and have plenty of rest and relaxation and joy in our lives. So I want to come back to the belief resetting, but I think what I'm hearing, Tracy, is that if we don't consciously do that, we inherit a whole set of beliefs that might not serve us. Is that fair? Yeah. I mean, we're all a product of our conditioning, good and bad. So we've been conditioned in things that are fantastic and they really serve us. And we have been conditioned in, in ways that in the end are detrimental to our mental and physical health. And so this work ethic that pushes us so far beyond what our body and our mind can cope with and what our relationships can cope with, then it's to the detriment. It's the de to the detriment to the other areas of our lives. And that's the time to question them and go, okay, just because I was brought up to believe this, is it really true? Is there any evidence out there? Is there anybody out there who is not working this hard but they're still successful? And interestingly, you might say, oh, yeah, but they're crooks or, oh, yeah, but they inherited it from their parents, you know, because we grow up with those messages. Like if you've grown up with this idea that you can only be successful by working really hard, you will justify that. You will justify that to the grave unless you are really very, very excited about the idea of being able to create a life where you can have balance and then it's worth it for you to be able to change those those ideas. And I think it's a really important point that you make is rather than justifying the position that you have around this, look for evidence of people who are living with balance and not working hard and blowing it out of the park. Um, it's a great comment. Hey, just before we go on, could you read that stage five um, summary again? I'm really keen just for people to hear that before perhaps we go back and look at the other levels. Yeah, absolutely. So stage five is habitual burnout. It's the final stage and it means that the symptoms of burnout are so embedded in your life that you're likely to experience a significant ongoing mental, physical or emotional problem as opposed to occasionally experiencing stress or burnout. And the symptoms are burnout syndrome, chronic mental fatigue, chronic physical fatigue, 
chronic sadness and depression. Okay. It's worth just making the point that um, I think we put a lot of labels on things and once I've had depression, therefore I always have depression or, you know, when I was a kid I had anxiety, therefore I'm always going to be an anxious person. I had low self-esteem and depression in my earlier years. I feel like in life we all go through ups and downs and life is like the seasons. It's in waves and in roller coasters if you want. And, you know, I think it's reasonable to expect that all of us will arrive to moments in our life on the journey where we have hardship and we do experience adversity. I just want to do a shout out to everyone listening that just because that might resonate or what we're about to go through might resonate with you now, it doesn't mean that you're broken or wrong. Um, It's just a moment in time where once we're conscious on it, then we can go about looking at ways that we can get the support we need to correct So I guess I just want people to be kind with themselves as they reflect on this. And if it's real for you, that's okay. That's just where you're at. Would you mind speaking to that, Tracy? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because what I believe is that any label or diagnosis is just an umbrella of symptoms and symptoms are warning signs to show us that there is a shift in our behaviour that we need to make. And behaviour starts with thinking. So there is a new way for us to begin to think, which will then affect the way we feel, which will then affect the way we behave. So when we simplify it, when I first start working with people and they tell me, you know, I was diagnosed with depression and I've been on medication, I say to them, okay, let's just simplify that. You have been in the habit of thinking negative thoughts and you can change the way that you think. And it's just easier to think those thoughts because you're in the habit, just like it's easier to eat fatty food if you're in the habit. And so it takes a little bit of discipline to change it, but you can change the way you think and you can change the way you feel. That doesn't mean that you suddenly stop taking medication because you want to, you know, gradually wean off the fat, but definitely it's all reversible and it just means that you need the tools. That's perfect, Tracy. Thank you. So would you mind taking us through the other stages just so that people can get a sense of um, where they might be in relation to the extreme? Yeah, absolutely. So number two, phase number two is the onset of stress. And I think most people will relate to this even if it's just every now and again. If you're not in the honeymoon stage, you probably have some awareness where there's some days that are more difficult than others. So this is probably a fairly normal place to be. You may find your optimism waning. So you might have been optimistic, but after a bit of a rough year, for example, or a rough season or a bout of problems, you might find that your optimism is starting to reduce. And you might start to notice some of these symptoms, which are symptoms of stress. And my definition of stress is a negative emotion and it's always caused by a negative perception so it can be changed once you learn how to do it but these are the symptoms of stress anxiety so anxiety simplified is worry it's really jumping to the worst case scenario and feeling sort of panicky about something rather than being calm and relaxed about it avoidance of decision making so a lot of people might be able to relate to that one 
a change in appetite or diet, fatigue, forgetfulness. This one was a big one for me. When I reflect back on when I was very, very stressed and and in probably stage three of um, burnout, I became very forgetful because there was just so much in my head. There was too much to draw from from for me to be able to remember what I needed to remember at the time. A general neglect of personal needs, so just putting the task first and not looking after yourself. Grinding your teeth at night. This was a really big one for me. Um, there's probably a lot of people that can relate to that. Headaches was a big one for me. Heart palpitations. I also had that. High blood pressure. Inability to focus. A lot of people relate to that one. Irritability. So a lot of people relate to this. So I want not only the person who might be irritable to note this, but also the person who's watching this and thinking of a loved one who's very irritable and have this perspective that they might be in this second stage of burnout and that's why they're irritable. Job dissatisfaction, lack of sleep or reduced sleep quality, lack of social interaction, lower productivity and unusual heart rhythm. Well, there's a lot in that. Yeah, a lot. That, that shift from honeymoon into stage two, yeah, I can see how it plays out. Um, you know, the stress and pressure that comes um, when we are in the heat of battle doing the heavy lifting of our business, for example, or, you know, in the thick of adversity, be it drought, flood, mouse plague at the moment, there's there's so many things that can bring on that stress that can start us on this journey. Um, It's really good to have it defined as the way you have, Tracy, so that people can get a read on where they're at on this. Yeah, and I think the other thing to keep in mind is you don't have to have all of these to be in the second stage. You might just have fatigue. You know, if you're noticing that you often have fatigue or if you're often forgetful or if you often can't focus, that you have a level of stress and that it's a warning sign and that we should listen to the taps. Um, Somebody said to me the other day, um, feather brick truck, you know, so (laughs) rather than waiting to get hit by the truck, just notice the tap. Okay, I'm really finding it hard to focus. Where do I need to put more balance into my life? And so if that stress endures, we roll into stage three. Yeah, exactly. So when we move into stage three, which is chronic stress, it means that we've spent too much time in step two or or stage two without doing something about it. And this is a marked change in your stress levels. So going from motivation to experiencing stress on a very frequent basis, you may also experience more intense symptoms. So you might start to express anger or aggressive behaviour or the other extreme, which is apathy. So I think this is really important to be aware of because quite often I'll have people talking to me about their spouses being one of these. So you really want to be able to be on the lookout for this. Chronic exhaustion or a cynical attitude. Um, We come across that sometimes where when you're encouraging someone and coaching them to a more positive level, they're quite cynical and they don't believe that things can be better. 
And this has actually come as a result of just burnout. So it's not their nature. We don't want to write them off as being a cynical person, but it's actually a symptom of being too stressed for too long. Have you um, come across people like that, Jeremy? Wow. So can someone win from there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you realise that you're cynical and you put two and two together and go, I didn't used to be. I used to be a happy-go-lucky kind of person. But over the last five years or 10 years or whatever it's been, I've been so stressed I've become cynical or I've become angry or I'm just exhausted all the time. I wake up exhausted and I go to bed exhausted. Whatever it may be, if you can just, it really takes the guilt away from it or the label away from it as if this is who you are. If you were experiencing flu symptoms, you wouldn't feel guilty about it and you wouldn't label yourself. You'd be like, okay, I need to do something about this. I need to go to bed and maybe take some medication. It's the same with if you're developing some of these behaviours. It's not who you are. It's not your personality. It could be linked to chronic stress. For me, there's another really important piece here, and this is a real distinction for me. I've got someone in my life who I'm just realising that I've been judging for playing life that way. And now that I see it differently, they might just be in stage three of burnout. Um, who am I to make them wrong for how they're turning up? And so I think what I'm saying is it's so easy to judge people for where they're at. But if we let go of that judgment and acknowledge that this might just might not be them at their A game, they might be a bloody good person just somewhere on this spectrum and maybe I need to turn up to them in a different way. I think this is a great opportunity. I think it's one of the best things that can come out of this. If you're watching this and you've been really annoyed <laughs> with somebody in your life because they're showing some of these symptoms, you might really look at it and it's an opportunity for you to sit down with them and say, we really need to do something different. You can't keep going on this way and working so hard because potentially this is the stage three where you're in chronic stress. Some of the other symptoms in this stage is feeling threatened or panicked, denial of problems at work or at home. I've definitely seen this. I've had the wife, for example, telling me, you know, my husband says that he'll come to the school activity and never shows up and just is in denial that there is even a problem. And that person is just so addicted to working that they're in this chronic stress stage, um, feeling pressured or out of control increased alcohol or drug use. So I've had a lot of my clients who have ended up drinking more and more just to cope with the stress and the tiredness. And because they feel a little bit better while they're having the drink, they actually think that that is a treatment, but it's not. It's actually going to make things worse, but it covers it up for a little while so that you can continue to be in denial that you are in chronic stress. Increased caffeine consumption. So it might just be such a little thing that you don't think it's a big deal. But at my latest retreat, there were women, we detoxed for two weeks before we go on retreat, had to get off five coffees a day before they went to that retreat. And they've been able to stay off it since the retreat. But the fact that they got to five a day means that they're probably in chronic stress. It's not something we reach for that many times a day unless we're feeling stressed. 
lack of hobbies. That was a big one for me. That was really big for me. When I was in chronic stress, I didn't have any hobbies. I thought that they were a waste of time and I didn't have time for them, which other people might be able to relate to as well. I'm tipping there are a few farmers out there that can relate to that one. Yeah. Give yourselves permission to go and play golf on a Wednesday afternoon or jump on the horse and go for a pleasant ride or whatever it is. Um, it takes a different set of beliefs and some, um, yeah, real commitment to a change, I think, to allow those hobbies that, in, that we enjoy into what most of us would call as a busy life that we do, where we don't have time for those sorts of things. Yeah. Well, it's actually one of the things that's going to reverse these symptoms is to find the space for those things that feel good rather than just doing the things all the time that are not giving you a break. Um, other symptoms in this stage are missed work deadlines or targets, persistent tiredness in the mornings, physical illness, a lot of the clients that come to me initially are getting these strange illnesses all the time. If it's not one thing, it's another. Um, procrastination at work and at home, repeated lateness for work, resentfulness, socially withdrawing from friends or family, or uptaking of escapist activities. So when I shared this with our Platinum Mastermind group, um, a lot of them said yes to that. So just that sort of mindless scrolling Facebook or, you know, just doing something to escape because they are just so exhausted. They just don't want to think anymore, but they haven't learned other ways to be able to have a break from thinking. So that's stage three. It's a pretty big stage, isn't it, when you describe it that way? Well, it makes me think that it's a pretty common stage. It wouldn't surprise me if everybody watching this has experienced at least some of the symptoms in stage three. I actually think that in this modern world we live in, that a lot of people are in stage three. Completely agree. It, it, it is almost as if that's become the new norm. Exactly. We're accepting stage three of chronic stress and we live our lives there, life there. And I see people making changes once they get a diagnosis. A friend of mine recently had a, um, a scan done of her heart and the calcium levels in her heart combined with her cholesterol level has made her a high-risk heart attack. And so now she'll make some changes. So these things lead us to waking up, but we want to wake up before we hit these high-risk stages. What's stage four? So stage four is continuing as normal is often not possible in this state because it becomes increasingly difficult to cope. We all have our own unique limits of tolerance and it's key that you seek intervention at this stage. So if, you, if you're in stage three, I would be doing something about it. If you get to stage four, then I would seek help. So now we've got behavioural changes, chronic headaches, chronic stomach or bowel problems, complete neglect of personal needs, continuation or increase in escapist activities, desire to drop out of society, desire to move away from work or friends or family, development of an escapist mentality, feeling empty inside, obsession over problems at work or in life, pessimistic outlook on work and life, physical symptoms intensify, increased self-doubt and social isolation. So you absolutely want to get intervention if you reach stage four. 
isolation and not wanting to turn up and participate with others seems to be a fairly common feature of this stage, Tracy. And um, there's so much opportunity for us to do that as funds. Um, yeah, it, it it's so accurate in its assessment of that transition from stage three into stage four. And as a farmer, it's easy to do both. So you can actually avoid contact with people and keep working. So you can keep firing up the stress and stay away with people because you've become so irritable that everybody irritates you. So it's actually easier to get some peace by being out on the tractor and keep working. And so you're actually just staying on that treadmill and perpetuating the stage three into stage four of this chronic stress and burnout. And maybe that's exactly why we're not turning up to the kids' sport. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. And if we weren't like this, of course we would go. Of course we would want to go. Um, and I think this just gives a lot of insight to the family members who are observing it because the family members are getting mad. They're mad about it. And so this is really causing breakdown in relationships as well because they are just like, why can't you see that there's no balance in your life? But you can see by these symptoms that not being able to see it can actually be one of the side effects. And so it is going to take an intervention from somebody else sometimes to point this out to them and lead them to this information. It's my hope that this podcast can be, I guess, part of that intervention. It might be that you can you know, let a family member you're concerned about listen to this and, and self-reflect on their own by themselves um, and make a conscious choice as to whether they're comfortable where they're at or whether they do need to get help and seek change. Yeah. Thank you, Tracy. It's just amazing to hear those five stages just so accurately described. So thank you for that. My pleasure. So then coping strategies or recovery strategies, is there one list or is there five lists because there are five stages? Well, I think the immediate action is different depending on where the stage, what stage you're at. If you're in stage four, I would seek medical assistance and I think your GP is your first point of call. Um, if there is a waiting list, um, to see your J GP. I know that in rural communities, sometimes you can't see someone immediately. Um, sometimes you can show up at the clinic and get on the emergency waiting list, or you can show up at your local hospital. Um, I think that if you've helped a loved one get to the stage of making the decision, I need help, that as soon as you can get that help, the better. Um, and it's just about sharing what's going on and getting assistance to take you to that next level. People have a lot of fear around medication. They have a lot of stigma and fear around medication. And what I want to reassure people is that if you were diagnosed as being a diabetic and you were going to die if you didn't take the insulin, you would take the insulin and then you would work on your diet and your exercise so that if you were the type of diabetic that you could gradually wean off your insulin by changing your behaviours, you could. But you initially, as a life-saving point of view, you need the insulin to help you get through that phase. That's what I want to say about chronic burnout and mental stress. If you need something initially to help you even feel good enough to be able to take the steps to take different behaviours, because if you are so low 
I could give you all the tools in the world and you will not be able to convince yourself to do it because the chemical imbalance that you have now as a result of feeling so low for so long is going to be very difficult for you to break. So I just want you to be open-minded about that when you seek medical help if you're in stage four. I've heard it said, Tracy, that if someone's drowning, a piano top will do for a little while in that it could be that some short-term medication is the piano top. And once you've found the piano top and you can catch your breath, then you can start looking for the life raft. And I love that metaphor um, just because I think, yeah, and linking back to your comment around medication, it might just be for a little while just to give you the first stage of support that you need to get your head above water so that you can breathe and then start looking at more meaningful and long-term change. Yeah. If you're in stage three and you have quite a few of those symptoms, the first step is to have a break as soon as possible. And what I've observed and experienced personally is that if you don't, if you come up with all the reasons why you can't, that it will get worse where you'll get to breaking point where you won't have a choice and you will take a break because you actually won't be able to get out of bed and go to work anyway. So there is the opportunity for you to schedule that in and have time away. Um, This is really, really powerful. If you're heavily into stage three, you might be best going away on your own um, and really having a break without having to try to be happy for other people. (laughs) There can be a lot of pressure on you to feel like you have to do that. It's such a good point. That was my next question, Tracy. is as business owners, you and I get the stress, the pressure, the risk and what's required to persist and succeed. I was going to ask what is an appropriate break and you know, if all you can wrangle is five days, great. But if you can, for me, if you can have two weeks or three weeks where you can really unwind and recharge, that is ideal. And to your point, maybe with your loved one and children isn't it. And that is completely okay. Um, Getting away annually just on your own and going bush for four or five days, whatever it is, can be so significant to your point because you're not trying to be there and be fun and part of a busy family. Um, It might be that you just need to take yourself away for a couple of nights to give yourself the time and space to, to make a start. Yeah, and I think the amount of time that you take will depend on how many tools you already have up up your sleeve for being able to relax, but you might just sleep. Sometimes people in stage three are exhausted and they go away for three days and they sleep most of the time. Um, What I would recommend is that you don't go away and eat and drink the whole time, (laughs) as in alcohol, that won't help. Um, But it really, and some of you might need it to be guided. Um, So one of the things that I did in 2016 is I went to my first retreat And so there were people there, Andrew Roberts and his wife, Sunny, um, and we were guided and it was structured. And that really worked for me because I was so addicted to working. I don't know whether I could have gone away on my own and not worked because because of my type of work. I can still work. If I've got Wi-Fi, I can work. Um, And so when they told me I couldn't have Wi-Fi, 
I was really scared and agitated by that, which was a real sign that I needed it. And by the third day, it was the biggest relief to be disconnected for three days. And I needed somebody to keep me accountable for that. Um, So there's some great retreats out there that you could go to on your own without anybody who knows you. There'll be other people there, but there's no obligation felt because they're strangers. So you can really just show up and get the most out of a retreat like that. Yeah, being distracted by a structured retreat um, so that you can remove all the normal interruptions um, makes perfect sense. I know I've, I've enjoyed those. What else? What are the other coping mechanisms? So if for a while there is absolutely no way you can remove yourself from the environment and you feel like you're okay to stay where you are, what I would say is that the most important thing is for you to focus on feeling good and the easiest time to do that is as soon as you wake up in the morning. So this will mean a commitment from you, which means I'm going to prioritise my own well-being over and above work. And I know for many of you that's not how it is. For me, my first priority was my business, my second was my family, and I was way down the bottom a very, very long last. And now I'm number one and my family is second and my business is third and All of us are thriving as a result of that change. And I promise you it will be the same for you, even if you don't believe me right now. And so when you first wake up, if you make feeling good your priority, it just means you need to be aware of what you wake up and think. And there's chances are that depending on where you are in these different stages is that you start to rehash what went wrong yesterday worry about what could go wrong today, stress about the to-do list that you have, or feel annoyed about someone who irritated you yesterday. And so your day is just going to continue down the track, that track. Law of attraction dictates that whatever thought you have will attract another thought just like it, and one builds on the another, and then you just end up down that rabbit hole, which feels terrible. And so this is what stress is, and that's just become so chronic for you that you want to break that cycle by thinking something that feels good when you first wake up. And you can't fake it. You can't pretend that you're happy. You can't write a gratitude list in a grumpy way just for the sake of writing it. It has to be a genuine thought. So it's a matter of thinking something that genuinely feels good. And at first, that could be difficult. I remember back years and years ago when I was in a terrible place and I thought, okay, I love my pillow. That's what I could come up with. I love my pillow. And it was genuine. I felt relaxed at the idea of just staying there for another minute with my head on the pillow. And then that led to, and I love this bed. And then it came to, you know, going through the sheets and that just really simple really simple, but it was genuine and it was relief. That's all you're looking for. You can't go from feeling helpless to gratitude or love. It's too far away. It's too big a leap. You just need to aim for relief, which is a feeling that feels just a little bit better than what you're feeling at the moment. And if you feel helpless, if you just feel like life is terrible and you're over it, then you need to just get to a place that feels a little bit better than that. And it might even be resentment or anger, it's going to be a little bit better 
even though it's still negative, is going to be a little bit better than the one that you just had. And if you can work yourself up to satisfaction, just a simple statements like, it's not that bad, it's not that bad, we had a good year a couple of years ago, you know, perhaps there's a good year coming next year, whatever it is that's just soothing, just, just relief, that's a good place to start. If you're much better than that, then you can go to gratitude. It just depends where you're at. So well explained. And I love that approach to just finding the little things that give you first relief. Um, and it might need to just be satisfaction before it can be gratitude, before it can be love. Yeah, that's I'm wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. I love and that also, Tracy, that we've got 100 of our Platinum Mastermind members all doing the 5am club. And you know, shout out to Jack Owen who bought 100 books for 100 of our clients and sent them out and that they're all on that 60-day challenge to make sure that they set up their days strongly so that they can launch in and be their best selves um, each and every day for 60 days. Um, how important is that morning practice? It's everything. If you can just start small and gradually build on it, um, the Platinum Mastermind members have experience and so they're able to jump into something like the 5am club where it's 20 minutes, then 20 minutes and 20 minutes, or they can modify it so that they're just doing it so that it works for them. But if you're listening to this and you've never had a morning routine in your life, then start small <coughs> and it might be by <coughs> listening to a five-minute meditation for example you might wake up you can't bring yourself to think anything that feels good so you're like right I'm going to tune into somebody who who already feels good and really feel good based on their feeling so it's like you tap into the way they're feeling and so that can be another thing that you can do so building a morning routine the whole purpose of it is is to shift this habitual way of thinking and feeling, which is stress, so that you can start to feel better. Once you feel better, it's time to do a stop take of your life. The reason you've end up, ended up in any of the stages of burnout is because you are doing too much of things that you don't enjoy. And so you need to start with, okay, what do I enjoy? Start there. What do I enjoy? and write them down and do more of those. Okay, what don't I enjoy? Why don't I, I enjoy it? Is there a way I could enjoy it? And you might end up tweaking it so that you can enjoy it. You might just change your mind about it so you can enjoy it, or you might end up delegating part of it or some of it. And this will free up space for yourself so that you get more balance into your life. Yeah, we hammer the point home, don't we, that a stop doing list is more important than a to-do list. And so that chance just to stop and reflect on what, what is it that I deeply enjoy doing and how can I do more of that and then what have I got to stop doing so that I can um, change the way in which my days play out. Yep, I love that. Yeah. You, you mentioned diet. Um and I'm predicting that exercise is another one. Um, would you mind speaking to those, Tracy? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a real link between stress and the vibration or the acidity of our food. 
And so we want to make sure that we have um, a high proportion of food that is alkaline. So if you Google, Google alkaline foods, you will just find that they're very natural foods. It's very obvious. It's a very whole food diet. Um, so that that does not produce the cortisol chemicals that cause the anxiety. So there's this loop with anxiety. So we, we worry about something and then we reach for something that gives us relief like coffee or alcohol or a cigarette or something sugary. And then that increases the cortisol, that increases the panicky thinking, that increases the anxiety. So they're all linked and we get on this anxiety loop and we can break the loop by introducing more alkaline foods. And what I really want to say is this is not about deprivation. This is about swapping and going for the healthful foods first. So what I would say to you is before you eat your breakfast, eat two or three pieces of fruit. And then if you're still hungry, add breakfast on top. Because the fiber from that and all of the micronutrients that you're going to get and the wonderful, good feeling hormones that will be released around your body are so powerful that if your body needs more than that, you will still feel like it. Um, and you may well do. I have, I have more than just three pieces of fruit. Um, otherwise, you will probably eat less because of the fiber and the volume. Eat lots of raw vegetables before you eat your lunch. So it's adding in rather than taking out. Then with exercise, again, all of those good hormones are going to rush around your body if you exercise. And if you think that your work is exercise, it is physical activity, but you're not going to get the same adrenaline, the same beautiful hormones that feel good, the serotonin that you want from the work that you do because of the focus that you have. So the focus that you have when you're working is going to be very much about getting work done. Um, the physical exercise, the purpose of it is that you're focusing on the exercise or nature as you exercise in nature. And that combination of the movement and being out in nature is going to really, really help with the cortisol and stress levels. It's got to be a break away from work, hasn't it? Yeah. be it meditation or exercise um, or a retreat, it's got to it's got to get you away from the busyness and away from where the stress comes from. I, I love that construct that if we think of a goldfish in a bowl for a moment, that if the fish is sick, we don't try and fix the fish, we change the environment. And all of these tips that Tracy is sharing with us around diet, around fitness, meditation, um, a better start to the day, and the list goes on, are all small changes to how the environment is for us so that we can go about getting well over time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if, if you're thinking as I talk about introducing these things into your life, saying, well, I just don't have time for that, then you, you just need to shift what's important. You have to remember that ultimately we want to be happy, we want to be healthy, and we want to have loving relationships. And so if you don't make time for things, you're not going to have those things. And you don't go from zero to 100. You just introduce them incrementally and you will notice incremental changes. Thank you, Tracy. I love that. 
um, concept I've heard you say before, one new habit at a time until it's locked in and then introduce the next. I think often we all try and it's a bit like the New Year's resolution, isn't it? We say, I'm going to do these 12 new things and none of them really play out. One until it's locked in and then another. Completely. That's what I've what I've done for years and they become lifetime habits. It doesn't help you to change something temporarily. So many people do that. They do things for a month and then they just go back to exactly what they were doing before. Your life is a result of what you do habitually, not what you just do sometimes or for a short spurt. And so one more question, Tracy, if I could. If there's a listener out there who has really resonated with, you know, that stage four or that stage five um, and they're feeling a bit uncomfortable around what they've heard and they're kind of realising that for the first time, what would you say to them? I would say that you're not alone um, and that you're not the only one and that there is help out there for you and that all you have to do is ask for it and that you're not letting anybody else down and that you shouldn't judge yourself for it. I think that there is a huge stigma around it and I certainly took a long time to speak up about it and it was the best thing I ever did. So I would just encourage you to reach out for help. Incredible. Tracy. thank you so much for scratching the surface on what is such an important and often not talked about topic, this whole conversation of burnout. I think it's so relevant and very real for so many of our listeners. I hope this has been um, meaningful for you. If, if it is, take action. If you know someone who you're concerned about, um, hopefully this gives you a start on how you might turn up to them in some small different way that might inspire them to get the support they need to move forward. Um, You're just so eloquent in how you go about helping us understand these things more fully, Tracy. and as always, I'm very grateful for your time. Thanks, Jeremy. Me too. Take care, everyone. Thank you and bye for now.